0: Nehemiah chapter two, verses nine through 20. Let me tell you a story. You like stories? Yes, it was a guy, his name was Nehemiah. He got some really bad news. His family came into town and he asked his family, he said, you know, tell me what's going on. What's up back home? He, he never lived back home. But but back home was was Jerusalem. And he asked, what's the condition with the people? What's up with the walls? And they told him, oh, you wouldn't believe it. It's horrible. The walls are broken down. There's just a small remnant. This small remnant is not doing well. It's, It's really pretty pathetic. And so when Nehemiah heard, he was devastated. Now, he wasn't devastated because the walls were broken down. The walls had been broken down for years since Nebuchadnezzar came through and broke the walls down. He was devastated because there was a rebuilding project that was going on. Things were supposed to change. There was a new temple that was being constructed. There were walls that were supposed to go up, and now he's hearing the news. No, this is not happening. In the place where God said, this is my city, this is where my glory will be, this is where I will dwell, it was in a state of ruin, and he heard these words, and it struck him at his core. God is worthy of our worship and to be greatly praised, and he's not being praised in the place where he should be. Oh, that we would have a heart like Nehemiah, that when we hear God's not praised in the place that he should be, it breaks us to our core. And he was wrecked. It says he fasted and he prayed. And in the text, it tells us he did this for four months. Between 90 and 120 days of devout prayer. Lord, how long? How long till you restore your glory? And then Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer. So he prepares the, the things. He prepares perhaps the wine. We don't know, it doesn't tell us. But he gets the wine ready. He gets everything. He selected it carefully. He's tasted it all to make sure the king's not gonna die because that's like his job. And so he tasted it all and everything that's good and he goes up to the king and he's delivering this to the king. It says the queen is sitting there beside him and he goes to deliver it to the king and the king looks at him and says, what's wrong with you? You look sad. But this looks like sadness of the heart important answer because it was illegal to be sad in the presence of the king we know this from the book of Esther where Mordecai would not even go into the presence of the king because he was in sackcloth and ashes and you would die if you went into the presence of the king and here I'm sure with an elevated pulse rate have you ever tasted the adrenaline in your mouth when your heart begins to beat because it's an important moment this is a big deal and all of a sudden the king says what's wrong with you Nehemiah responding, long live the king. That's kind of the way of saying there's nothing wrong with your food or drink. He doesn't tell him something's wrong with Jerusalem. Why not? Because this king is the one that issued the edict to stop rebuilding the walls. Only 13 years prior to this, Nehemiah says, the place of my father's graves is in ruins, it's destroyed. Why should I not be sad? The king. What do you want? What are you asking? Prepared. Nehemiah pulls out his iPad, goes to his keynote presentation, shows him his Google calendar. Here's my strategic plan. Here are my goals. Here are my objectives. Here's how we're going to measure this out. We're going to do all these things. Here's what I need from you, King. I need for you to let me go for this amount of time so that I can accomplish what God has laid on my heart to do, and I need you to pay for it. So I want you to give me all the timber. I want you to give me all of these things. Give me letters to the people who are important to tell me I'm more important than they are and I can do whatever I wanna do. I want you to do all this stuff, King. I'm sure at that moment that he's doing this, his heart is racing and he's thinking, what in the world is gonna happen? Have you ever been there? Maybe it was that first time you asked that really pretty girl that loved Jesus if she wanted to get coffee. Maybe that's the moment that pulses. Maybe it was that time that mom and dad looked at you and said, is there something you need to tell me? Maybe it was that time you had an interview for a job or you had an interview to go into a specific major and you thought, oh, if this doesn't happen, if this doesn't work, it's all over. Maybe it was that visa when you were coming from another country and you recognized, if I don't get this visa, I can't go. You felt it. I guarantee you Nehemiah did too. The king's response. Sure. You've got your letters, you've got your time. It pleased the king. It didn't only please the king sitting in the throne, it pleased the king of kings sitting upon the throne who controlled the heart and the mind of that king like water in the palms of his hand. So that's the easy part. And it, it brings us to where we are today in our text. Nehemiah, he's gotta travel. It wasn't a weekend road trip. I've got a slide for you to show you exactly how far Nehemiah had to travel. Nehemiah went from Susa over on the right-hand side. Now, if he'd gone straight across, he probably could have made this journey in two months. But if you go straight across, you see that light tan area, that's called a desert. Most people don't advise for you to travel through a desert on a really long journey because it's hot and there's no water, and it's a long time, and you could die. So probably, he took a similar route to what Ezra took, which means he was traveling for four to five months. That's a long journey. What happens when he arrives? I don't think I can do it justice. But to speak to modern culture Let me try to paint the picture for you of Nehemiah arriving in Jerusalem. He shows up in our text, the first thing it does is it introduces us to the enemies. Now think about this. This is kind of like when the Marvel Avengers movies come on, any number of them, and the first thing they show you is somebody landing on a new planet and all of a sudden it zooms in to Dax. Or to any number of enemies that are going to try to destroy the Avengers. So you have set up your hero, and then you have set up the enemy that's going to destroy them. The Horonite is a word we're going to see. It just sounds horrible. The Sand Ballad. It's like Sandman. I mean, I don't. Maybe this is Spider-Man's enemy in a long time ago. I don't know. So the first thing our writer does to us is tell us there's a five month journey and here are the enemies, the enemies that you're gonna face. What would have been going through your mind What would have been going through Nehemiah's mind? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us, but but put on your sanctified imagination for a minute and jump into the text with me. Don't just read past it. Jump into the text with me. I've told the king I'm gonna do something that's pretty amazing, and I'm I'm now here. I have arrived, and all of a sudden, I'm confronted with two enemies, not just two normal enemies, but I am confronted with the governor of Samaria, who is a powerful political enemy, and then I am confronted with somebody that's called a servant of Ammon, which is from the Ammonite so we don't know exactly what he's in charge of, but he's another powerful enemy and we know the word Ammonite because we know it traces back to Lot and his incestuous relationship with his youngest daughter and Ben-Ami was born and there are the Ammonites. Long history of hatred for me, for my people. So what does he do? He takes three days, he rests, he prays, puts together a strategic plan, Figures out what his speech is gonna sound like. We don't know what he did. It just says he took three days. He didn't start right away. Perhaps he rests, and then at night, he goes up. Hasn't told anybody what he's gonna do yet, but at night, he's gonna go out and survey the walls, and he looks at the walls. Imagine the walls. We know they're torn down. He's riding on an animal. He's riding on this animal. He's going around. He's inspecting the gates and all the other aspects of the wall. He sees all of these stones torn down. Perhaps it looked like, we don't know, perhaps. The walls have crumbled and from such a long time, there's moss growing on the top of these major boulders, boulders that he can't pick up and put back in place by himself. It takes multiple people to be able to lift these big rocks and to get them in the right place. Perhaps there's weeds or briars or brush, no trails of animals because it's not the easiest path to trek. And he sees all of this destruction and he's going around these places and it's at night and he's looking and he hasn't told anybody and he looks, he gets to a point where his animal can't even cross. The destruction is so bad, and perhaps down terraces to where his animal can't walk on these huge rocks, so he has to get off his animal, crawl along these big rocks, crawl upon this destruction, looking at what the job is in front of him. Would you be scared? I praying he's praying, he's going, oh Lord, how how is this going to happen? I'm looking around at a destroyed wall. I knew it was torn down, but Lord, I don't know that I knew an animal couldn't even pass. Lord, I find out that San and Tobiah are enemies and they're powerful. And one of them is even married into the priestly family. So he has inside information and spies that's gonna tell him everything that's happening. How in the world is this gonna work, Lord? I've gotta convince the people to build a wall when 13 years ago, the king said, don't build the wall. It's already failed. It's a failed mission. How are they gonna respond to me? Are they gonna look at me and say, you're an outsider. You're not from these parts. You've never lived here. We don't know who you are. We're not gonna follow you. We've never done it this way before. That's not how we do things in this neck of the woods how are they going to respond to me Lord you feel the tension the tension in the story of a person who has come to seek the good of the people with an incredibly God-sized task in front of them how would you respond perhaps you look out at the world And when you look out at this world, you see powerful political forces set against our mission. Perhaps you look out at this world and you see a, a culture that is running the entire opposite direction from where God's glory and God's calling says to us, our God is worthy of praise in this time, in this generation. Perhaps you look out and you say, God, the task is too big. I can't do anything. Who am I? I'm an outsider. I'm a nobody. Nobody knows me. Nobody listens to my voice. There's nothing I can do, Lord, to overcome these major problems. God, how will I inspire anybody? How will they follow? How will they hear? How will they act? Lord, who am I and what is this task that is before me? What would you do? Would you stay in your comfortable palace? Or would you be willing to go on a five-month journey to enemy territory with an incredibly God-sized mission to say your glory is worth it even if it cost me my life? even if it cost me my reputation. I'm willing to go and serve the Lord. What would you do? Would you go to a place where you can make a difference? Or would you stay in a place where you would just be comfortable? What would you do when you encountered powerful political opposition? Would you shrink away? I can't meet this task. Or would you stand up and speak boldly? Let's read just a few verses of our text. We believe the Bible is written by God, inspired by God. It's as though he were speaking to us. And because of that, we want to stand in honor of the reading of God's word as we look at verse 9. Then I came to the governor's. The governors of the province beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen, but when Sanballat, the Haranite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. O oh, Lord, today help us catch a glimpse of your great hand in preserving your people and in your work for your glory to be made known throughout the world. And Lord, help us to catch a glimpse of our part in that mission. In Jesus' name, amen, you may be seated. So we're gonna look at some different scenes. After we look at some different scenes, we're gonna come to the main idea, then we're gonna have some application, and then we'll wrap up with a final challenge to you. Verses nine and 10. So then I came to the governors and the province of the province beyond the river. I gave them the king's letters. He received the king's letters. But then it says, the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. Now we didn't read the text. We've looked at it in our prior messages. But nowhere in the text does it say that he asked for army or officers or things of this nature. Now, because he had been appointed governor, perhaps these were normal things that went with them. But if you remember back in your Old Testament to Ezra, Ezra didn't take anybody with him because he thought, if I ask the king to protect me after I've told him my God will protect me, then it's almost like a lack of faith. And so we're just gonna fast and pray for God to keep us safe so that nobody would rob us or nobody would kill us on our journey. And so Ezra goes without anybody, Nehemiah goes with somebody Ezra goes without any guard and it's a matter of faith in God for his provision I guarantee you Nehemiah went with the guard and it was giving glory to God because of his provision and a point to us comes here when we realize that God doesn't answer prayers in the exact same way oh but see my friend he prayed for a job and all of a sudden he got an email out of the blue and he had a job in three days but me I am waiting and waiting and waiting and all of a sudden nothing happens Oh, but my my friend, she got her ring by spring. And I didn't get one. Jesus was single and Paul was single. Get over it. And work on becoming the right person, not finding the right person, and let God do what God's gonna do in God's timing, okay? Take the pressure off. It doesn't mean you can't ask somebody out. It doesn't mean you can't have fun. It doesn't mean that marriage is bad, marriage is great because it depicts the gospel. But sometimes we just think God's gonna answer me in the same way he answered somebody else. So somebody else did all of these things and they got the answer they wanted. I'm gonna do all those things so I'll get the answer I want. And then it doesn't happen and we think, oh, God's not there. Yes, he is. He never promised you he would answer you in the same way he answered somebody else. So Ezra goes without a guard, Nehemiah goes with a guard. Who's wrong? Neither one of them. God kept Ezra safe, God kept Nehemiah safe. He just acts in different ways with different people. But here we come to the enemy. Sanballat, the horror night. If if we weren't inside, I think I would spit every time I said their names. But I'd have to clean it up later and that's not, I'm not. The enemies, look at these enemies. What's their problem? They don't like it that somebody came to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. You're kidding me. Somebody doesn't like it. Because I want somebody else's life to be better. Yeah, you can't do that. That's not allowed in these parts. I'm sure they had a political reason. I'm sure there was some power struggle going on. I'm sure there was a political advantage that they thought they needed. Probably some self-centered item. But here you you meet opposition immediately. Nehemiah, just his presence, greatly displease them. Now, we often think, at least when I was younger, I thought, if I could talk to somebody, everybody's gonna like me, because I'm a nice guy. But I've grown to learn that if I stand for the exclusive truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved, everybody's not gonna like me, no matter how nicely I say those words. Because standing for the truth of the gospel means that you are diametrically opposed to the evil one, to the devil, to the ruler of this earth, to the principalities and the powers. And so we have to get over ourselves too and stop wanting to please people and recognize that even though we love others, even though we are as nice as we can possibly be doing it, when we stand for the truth of the gospel, people aren't going to like it that we have come to seek the welfare of the people eternally. And they're going to oppose us. And we have got to be okay with that. We can't be such a people-pleasing group that all of a sudden saying something to the truth of scripture, something against the culture, all of a sudden turns us into people who just we shy away. Oh, I want the culture to like me. The culture's not gonna like you. The devil is the ruler of this earth. The world, not the people, the world is fixed against us. Our own sin nature pulls against us doing what we are supposed to do. We have to be comfortable that we serve one and that one is the one that we seek to please. And we do it with love and we do it with compassion, but we do it with conviction and we stand for that one and we serve him well and faithfully as a good and faithful steward before God. And if you want everybody to like you, you never going to be able to please Christ because you're too busy pleasing people. Tobiah, the Ammonite, displeased. Look at what it says about Nehemiah, though. He had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Oh, that's a great mission. How did he get that mission? Tells us in verse 12. What God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There are some of you in the room that God has put things in your heart to seek the welfare of other people, and you're gonna do that in many different ways. There are some of you that are gonna do that through social work. God has put it in your heart to seek the welfare of other people. There are some of you that you're gonna do that through counseling. God has put it in your heart to counsel and seek the welfare of other people. Some of you do this through nursing or any number of our other medical degrees because God has put it in your heart and you wanna seek the welfare of other people. Some of you are gonna be pharmacists who can advise and who are on the front lines of people taking medication because you wanna help them. And God has put it in your heart to seek the welfare of other people. Some of you are gonna be engineers. You're gonna do this in other countries and you're gonna do this to create good roads and good bridges and buildings that don't just fall down and collapse. And that's a good thing for the welfare of all of us that use those items. You're gonna be teachers in a classroom that is a mission field and you're gonna be teaching students that may never encounter another follower of Jesus Christ, but right there you are seeking the welfare of the students in your classroom. You're gonna be nurses who are in the hospital and people in their most vulnerable times because God has placed it on your heart to seek the welfare of those that you are serving. Every discipline, every major, seeking the good and the welfare of mankind ultimately for the glory of God because that's what God's placed in your heart. Verse 11, so he went to Jerusalem and he was there three days. All right, so this is not a guy that's lazy. This is a guy that went on a five to six month journey after praying for four months and he lands in the spot, he's gonna build a wall in 52 days, sorry, spoiler. He's gonna build a wall in 52 days And for three days, we don't know what he does. Some people will say he rested. So then there's a good point about balance in life. You have to rest. You go on a long journey, you stop and you rest before you take on the mission. You don't just blow into town and say, all right, it's time to go. Rest, sleep. Maybe that's what he did. We don't know. Maybe he prayed. Maybe he wrote out a strategic plan. Maybe he wrote out his speech. This is what it's going to say. We don't have a clue. But we know for three days he was there. Then, in verse 12, it says, I rose in the night. If you wanna be a leader, there are gonna be some lonely nights. If you wanna impact change on this world, there are gonna be some lonely nights. There are gonna be some nights when leaders are awake and active and doing things, when everybody else is sleeping and has no clue anything's going on in the world. There are gonna be some nights that you bear the weight alone because only you know what you're called to do, only you know what you have to do. And here it says, he rose in the night, a few men with him. He told no one what God had put into his heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with him except the one he rode on. He went out, he went by the valley gate, to the dragon spring, and a lot of people have tried to recreate all of this and tell you exactly where, we really don't have a clue. He inspected all of the walls, all right? So he went to the dragon gate, of uh, dragon spring, to the dung gate, It says, he inspected the walls. It tells us that twice. It's repeated, so it's important. He personally went and inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then he went to the fountain gate, then to the king's pool. There was no room for the animal. So then he went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And then he turned back. He had had to turn back, maybe. Maybe he couldn't go around. Maybe he'd gone all the way around and he turned back, but he went in the same gate he left. So he turned back and went in the valley gate and returned. And the officials still didn't know where he had gone or what he was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest, get this, who were to do the work. He he hadn't told anybody, and they were gonna do the work. Interesting. So what do we see from this? Three days, then he arose in the night, and then he had told no one what God had placed in his heart to do, because it wasn't time yet. There's a principle here. Until it's time to announce what God has laid on your heart to announce, you gotta be able to keep a secret. I I have children, I love my children, they're great. They've reminded me of a weakness that I had when I was small too, keeping a secret. Anybody in the room ever had a weakness keeping a secret. So I was a preacher's kid. This is probably the worst secret I ever blew. I was a preacher's kid and my dad decided he was moving churches. So he told us before he told the church. I haven't even told you what I did yet. You already know because you're used to hearing secrets, right? I had a friend at school. I had a couple of them, but I had this one friend at school. I told my friend at school, hey, we're moving my friend being much like I was. Couldn't keep a secret. And he told another friend, he's moving. Who told another friend, he's moving. Who wasn't a friend at all. So he didn't care. He told everybody, he's moving. And then my dad decided not to move. Life ruined. It's over. End it now. All right, it's done. Hey, at least at that point, I thought it's over. It's done. I'm just... My dad finds out he's going to kill me. If he doesn't, I'm going to kill me. I mean, it's just over, all right? <laughs> so I started praying. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know what. I was just like, oh, Lord, this is a mess. I don't know what's going to happen here. How in the world am I going to get out of this? So then dad changed his mind, and decided to move again. And it was all okay. But I'm sure people heard at some point that they're moving, that we're at the church. Dad never really came down on me too hard about that. I don't even know if he knows Now, because he's watching online. But (laughs) it's confession time, right? We'll play just as I am after it's over. It'll all be good. How many of you can't keep a secret? Oh, my friend told me this. This is important. Hey, guys, I've got a deep prayer request. So-and-so's in big trouble because they're doing such and such, and I really want all of us to pray for them. Glad I got that off my chest. You just gossiped you didn't keep a secret. If you want to be in a leadership position, there are going to be times you have things that you can't say. There are going to be times you have things you can't legally say because to legally say all of the details violates the law and will put you in jail. And if you can't keep a secret, don't you dare work in HR. I'm just saying that's a really bad career choice for you. So here the leader had to say, it's not time yet. Why? Well, I already told you. There's a person that's married into the family of the priest who has inside information. If he tells anybody what's happening before it's time, it's going to get out, and the enemies are going to know that it's out, and the enemies then are going to try to stop it. Perhaps we could draw from this, do you rest appropriately? Do you work hard? If you're not willing to get up early... If you're not willing to get up in the middle of the night, if you're not willing to do all of your homework, if you're not willing to study for a test, if you're not willing to put in the work that it takes, don't go around telling everybody, I wanna do great things for God and I wanna be a leader. If you're not willing to work hard, you're not gonna do those type things. Learning to work hard and then to enjoy the work that you're doing and enjoy doing it for God is part of learning to live this life as a good steward. We are not called to live this life lazy. We are called to work. Work is a good thing. It was in the garden before the fall and we are called to work hard and we should wake up every morning looking forward to what we're gonna go do and we should do it really hard. We should play hard. We should work hard and every night we go to bed, we should go to bed tired and we should thank God that we had a good day and we get up the next day and we do it all over again and we don't long for a day where we do nothing but sit around and waste our lives. We long for a day where God gives us more to do so we can do more hard stuff for God so we can have more fun seeing what God's doing so we can go to bed tired so we can get up the next morning and do it all over again some of you aren't excited about that that's okay (laughs) verse 17 he said to them you see the trouble oh this is key You people who have lived in this town for all this time and you haven't rebuilt this wall, you don't have a clue what you're doing. You need to repent. You need to get right with God and you need to build this wall. Is that what he did? No, look what he did right here. You see the trouble we are in? He just arrived three days ago already. It's we. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. So how am I gonna get these people to to do something that's pretty amazing? And 13 years ago, the king said, don't do this. And now I have letters. So I've gotta inspire the people. How do I inspire the people? Do I inspire the people first with the letters? No, I inspire the people first with the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And then also, the king had spoken to me. Because the first objection that he's already anticipating is, wait a second, the king said, don't do this until I give command. 13 years ago, the king sent the letters. We had to stop. We were treasonous at that point in time if we kept going. This is treason you're asking us to do. No, 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 The good hand of my God was upon me, and look at the letters. We can not only build, but he's gonna provide the wood. He's got all of these people with us. He's taking care of it all. God has done this, and the king has sent the letters. Brilliant strategy. The words of the king had spoken to me and they responded and said, we've never done it that way before. What if it fails? I'm afraid of failure. Because if this fails, somebody's gonna post it on Instagram and my Instagram story is not gonna be perfect like everybody else's perfect story because all of us only post our perfect pictures on social media so everybody else looks at our social media and they think that person has the perfect life because all of us are really good at hiding our junk. What if we fail? Can I just tell you, don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to be criticized. They said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hand for the good work. You see in this honesty and integrity, he said, we're in trouble. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't say, oh, it's not that bad. He didn't lie like a lot of people do to make you think it's actually better than what it is. He looked at them straight and he said, do you see the trouble we're in? He identified with them. He took on risk. Let us build the wall that we may no longer suffer derision. So they responded, Let us build the wall. This was a significant demand. Think about it. Build a wall means you're not doing your crops. Building the wall means you may not be at home protecting your family. There are things you're giving up in order to build a wall. Saying yes to one thing means saying no to something else. You can't say yes to everything, you only have a certain number of hours in the day. So, how did he do it? He encouraged them by giving glory to God. See the bigger picture. You have to see the bigger picture in life. You have to see the bigger picture in your vocation. You have to recognize that those who serve you as faculty and staff at Cedarville see the bigger picture. They're not just here to get a paycheck. They're not just here because they love their discipline. They're here because they wanna disciple you. They're here because we have the opportunity to pour into students who are gonna go out and do vocations all over the world and do great things for the glory of God. So ultimately, our vision that we stand for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ doesn't say anything about teaching classes or granting degrees, because that's not ultimately what we're about. We're gonna do that but we're gonna do that in such a way that we hope to inspire you to dream big dreams for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. But at the Haranite and Tobiah the Ammonite, oh and look what happens. And there's another enemy. God, all I've done is got up in the middle of the night, rode around the walls, and told a few people we're gonna rebuild it, and the enemies are already multiplying. Geshem, the Arab. Who is Geshem the Arab? Well, in 1947, some silver vessels were discovered with Aramaic instructions on there that says Quainu, the son of Gashmu, the king of Kedar." So Geshem was probably the king of Kedar, which was the king and powerful of an Arabian Confederacy. Another powerful enemy. They made fun of us, they jeered at us, they despised us. They criticized us. They said, What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So how do you respond to criticism? He doesn't mince words with them. He replied to them and he said, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or no right or no claim in Jerusalem. Jesus was mocked, despised, rejected. The Jews said the Christians at Pentecost were drunk. Paul was called a babbler. Festus told Paul he was out of his mind. If you think you're gonna stand for Jesus Christ and not face criticism, you're not living in the real world. Be okay with it. It has always happened throughout scripture. It will always happen until Jesus comes back. Personal intimidation. Notice the response. He doesn't say, wait a second, I have a letter from Artaxerxes. Take that. Drop the mic, spike the football in the end zone. He says, the God of heaven. The God of heaven is going to make us prosper. So here we get to the main idea of our text. What's the main idea of the whole thing? We met the enemies. We inspected the wall. We talked to all the people. We met more enemies. And yet Nehemiah keeps going because Nehemiah had faith that God would make them prosper. That's how we do what we do. Nehemiah had faith God would make them prosper. If you're going to do anything amazing for God in this life, you have to have faith that God will make you prosper in it. So very quickly, some points of application. He had a sense of mission to serve God and others. You see it in verses 10 and 12. He had a sense of mission to seek the welfare of the people. God had placed it in his heart. What has God placed in your heart? What is your mission? Do you want to serve others and serve God well? Find that mission. Find that challenge. Don't waste your life. Pursue that challenge with great enthusiasm and do great things for God. He inspected the walls personally. He didn't take other people's word for it. He got out and went and did the hard work himself and looked at all of it personally. And then he identified with the people. He took risk. This might not work, but we have to do this. We are in this together. You have to do the same thing. You can't lead people with the you, you, you. It's all about the we, we, we. He cast the vision compellingly at the appropriate time. He kept the secret. And then wisely, he pointed them to a higher purpose of God and what God was doing. And he was courageous in the face of criticism. The devil doesn't want you to do anything good for God. But I challenge you to get involved in the cosmic battle, to get involved in what Jesus is up to on this planet. Because I've got news for you. There's a spoiler at the end. And in the book of Revelation, we know that Jesus wins. So even though we look out at this world and we look at what's happening and we say, God, I can't do anything. God, who am I to be able to engage in what's taking place here? We look out with faith that God will make us prosper when we pursue His endeavors And we recognize that no matter how hard it may be, no matter what the world throws at us, that we are on the winning team and that God will come back one day and He will make all things new. So with love in our hearts and fire inside of our bosoms, we go out and we make sure that we are compassionate and we stand with conviction and we do great things to serve God and to serve others' well. And that's our mission. Dear God, help us to grasp it and to fulfill it and to live for you, not for our glory or our pride, but Lord, for yours. Of course, in your great name we pray, amen, and you are dismissed.